what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. With me, Chris Fry. We are the co-founders, co-directors of the Foot Candle Film Society and the Foot Candle Film Festival that um, happens in about September of every year. But for today, we are just the host of this podcast. We are just mere hosts. We are just mere <laughs> movie fans and reviewers, and that's what we'll be doing in this episode. Uh, when we get together, we talk through some of the new releases. We give at least a couple reviews. This week, we've got a special treat. We're going to have three three films we're going to talk about. The floodgates are opening, Chris, right. at the uh, movie theaters. <laughs> The films are all coming back. We've got a lot to catch up on. So we will be reviewing three films. Uh, those films include the latest from Marvel Studios, The Eternals. We have the latest Wes Anderson film, The French Dispatch. And then a film uh, starring Jessica Chastain and Andrew Garfield, The Eyes of Tammy Faye. We will be discussing all three of those, followed by a couple of movie news items later in the episode. And then we end the show where Chris and I both share a recommendation of a film we recently caught up with, and we think that you may want to as well. So, Chris, this is going to be a little bit of a bigger show with three reviews to do, so I think we just need to go ahead and jump right into our first one, if that's okay with you. So this could be kind of a early Thanksgiving feast. For it is. It is a cornucopia of film <laughs> reviews today, so awesome. quite a lot. Let's go ahead and get into our first one. It is Marvel's The Eternals. Five years ago, Thanos erased half of the population of the universe. But the people of this planet brought everyone back with a snap of a finger. The sudden return of the population provided the necessary energy for the emergence to begin. How long do we have? Seven days. Chris, The Eternals is a film you and I have been kind of talking about in preparation for a little while now. Sure. Okay. Let me give the quick little synopsis of what the film is, and then we'll talk kind of the backstory and get into our opinions. The saga of The Eternals. It's about a race of immortal beings who lived on Earth and shaped its history and civilizations. As we now catch up with these Eternals, played by a myriad of different actors, um, many of them very well-known, some not as much, but a nice assortment of some very uh, unique and different actors playing these characters. Chris, me just describing that little that little summary statement, knowing it's a Marvel Studios film and knowing that was the, the log line for it, okay? If I could go back in time, Chris Fry, hearing about that film, just from that description and knowing it's a Marvel film, probably not going to have a whole lot of interest or anticipation for it. 
Right. You'd be right. <laughs> As we talked about the film leading up to this, you know, we learned that Chloe Zhao was going to be the director of the film. Right. We are both fans of her previous work, mm-hmm. Nomadland being her most recent film that she actually won a lot of awards for. So that raised the anticipation for this film. I think we all started to look at it in a different lens and say, oh, okay, maybe there is actually something kind of interesting here. But given the pandemic, given all the delays, given all the, 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 the workarounds the movie studios have had to have, I think it built up a little bit of weariness with us. I think, mm-hmm. at least for me personally, I think I was the one even quoted on the show saying, I think The Eternals is going to be kind of our make or break film. Right. For the Marvel Studios franchise. They've had 25 films, I think, at this point, and um, all to some degree successful. Is this the one to break that streak was going to be the question, or is this the one that's going to set them down a path where they're now going to play a little catch up with getting the audience back in the theaters and kind of their relaunch started with black widow, which because of the pandemic and it previewed on or you know, started online and all that stuff. That was kind of a shaky yeah. You know, kind of a shaky start. So then there's this film. So, so I've said all along, this is going to be a very interesting film to see how it's, how it's reviewed and perceived by the audience. So that's really my question to you, Chris, uh, knowing that the, the, the sorted history of this film and kind of the background and hands ringing that I think has been going on with it. Did you come out of this film surprised or did you feel come out feeling like it was what you probably expected in the early days of, of hearing about this? <laughs> well, this is a rare instance where normally when we have these discussions, you're familiar with the background of the characters and I'm not because, mm-hmm. you know, I was more of a DC person. I read Batman, all that kind of stuff and Marvel. I wasn't as familiar with. This is a rare instance when I heard that they were making this film, even before the director was attached, I just knew that this was like a next phase or whatever. And they were like, Eternals. I'm like, oh, I've never heard of these people. I'm going to buy a graphic novel and read up on this. So I did. And it happened to be a recent kind of reboot that Neil Gaiman had done back in like 2006, maybe. Mm-hmm. I can't remember when, but it was, it was still a while ago. So I read that and I was like, huh, interesting. I'm not sure how that would translate to a movie. <laughs> Um, and that's, you know, and that's kind of how my experience with the Eternals was that unfortunately it's kind of like, you know, people, critics kind of like me where I complain about the Avengers and I'm like, you know, I'm kind of done with this. I wish, you know, I would like for something different and I will give it to Eternals. It was different, but different but also not satisfying in many ways. And it doesn't have to do with the acting. It doesn't have to do with the directing. Um, I think it comes down to just the script and honestly, and I don't know if it's something that could be overcome with the script because for mere, mere, mere fact of the Eternals. Okay. I can't even remember their names right Mm -hmm. now. That's because there are 10 of them. Okay. You know, you'd get like the X-Men and maybe you have, four or five main ones and you have some background, but you know, you, you kind of focus on, but we had 10 different people all with like kind of odd superpowers and all these, like, I don't know. It just, it was so scattered that I just feel like it was like doomed to fail. Like there was just like, this movie was just, this wasn't going to be, and I don't really, I can't really, I think it comes back to some things just maybe can't really be well translated to or very difficult to translate to screen. We talk, have talked about Dune on a previous show. That's where this kind of 
fell with me. Um, mm. I don't think it's a complete like failure. Um, and it apparently is doing somewhat well at the box office, I guess. Um, but uh, what 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 are your what are your thoughts on it? I liked it. <laughs> okay. Okay. And moving on, next review. No, I uh, no, I, I I actually liked it. I um, here's the thing with this. Okay, first off, uh, just to go ahead and set the groundwork because I am yeah, I am mar- more of the Marvel superhero guy, and I'm I'm a fan of what Marvel has put together in their cinematic universe. I, I'm, I'm not going to review this as a Marvel film because ah. I don't, I don't think that's a, a, a right lens to do it. And I think that's a good way to look at it is yeah. that you just, and that's okay. Like you say, that makes it different. Every yeah. other movie we kind of review with that lens, but this is like, it's kind of like its own little thing. And, and honestly, so, up until, I mean, the, the film's two hours and 37 minutes up until two hours and 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it, it's not a Marvel film. I, I don't feel like it needs to be reviewed or looked at in that lens. I don't need to compare it with other Marvel's uh, properties or whatever. Oh, we just totally skipped over Shang, Shang-Chi as being another like start of this oh, new true, phase. Oh, true. Yeah, that was so another that, okay, one too right. as well. Yeah. Um, but I, I, uh, I did like the film. Um, I, but at the same time, if anybody tells me that they hate this film, I get it. <laughs> I mean, really, I, I normally, if I really like a film and I hear somebody else hates it, I kind of get, I want to, I want to defend talk, it. I want to defend it. Sure. I, I can't really defend this. I get it. If if it did not work for people and some people walk away just really not liking this film, I totally understand it. I totally get it. It just so happened the things that I think could be a hit or miss for people just happened to fall on the hit side for me on this viewing. And, and so I'm okay with it. Is it overblown? Yes. It does, is it trying to do too much? Yes. Does it have too many characters? Yes. Um, <laughs> is it sometimes a little ponderous, sometimes a little, a little uh, high and mighty in its, in its tone? Yes, absolutely. Mm. Um, is it confusing at times? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of things I get. You know, people right. can walk away and really not dig this movie. But um, the things that work for me, I, I, something, I guess the novel approach for me of it being a family, not maybe in a traditional sense, but a more of a familiar family type environment between these characters. Mm -hmm. I like that. Gotcha. Do I wish they could have done more with it? Sure. But it was a lot packed into two and a half hours already. I I get that you can't do as much as you want to do. Um, I like the fact that this is a film that really is more broad in scope, larger in scope than I think we've seen the entire universe. Yeah. I mean, it's when you see that one of the the first scenes is a flashback to 5,000 BC. I'm like, okay, (laughs) we're going big here. We are going big epic scope on this for sure. Right. Um, and I'll say this too. I I liked all the characters for the little bit of time we had to spend with any of them. And it is a shame. Yes. Do they, did they really need to have 10 characters be your, your, your family? Well, yes and no. I like the fact that it did create more of that family environment. You realize there's a lot of interesting relationships between these people that has happened over these thousands of years. But at the same time, when you get 10 characters, it's really hard for any one character to kind of have their moments that you really, that really stand out. Um, and I'll, I'll even say, uh, as we look at this as an action movie, I was not expecting it to have as much action as it did, because honestly, I was going into this thinking, it's the Eternals, 
It's right. Chloe Zhao directing it. It's, it's going to be a lot more scenery and <laughs> sure. talking, and I'm okay with that. But to come out of it, I'm like, oh, yeah, there were actually some, I thought, some pretty good action sequences I thought were generally pretty entertaining for me. So um, overall, I came out, I think, pleasantly surprised and happy with how much I did enjoy the film. There are a lot of issues. We've already kind of hit on some of them. I am going to hold and talk about the ending of the film because I think that was where my enthusiasm went down dramatically hmm. when I left the theater. You're talking about the, and you're talking even before the credit scenes, or did you I'm, stay? For I'm talking those? both epilogue and credit scenes. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> those were, anyway, we'll get to that. I, I, <laughs> sure. I do think if the movie could have found a way to end 15 minutes earlier or 10 minutes earlier, even, I would have probably walked out much happier. But uh, hmm. unfortunately, Unfortunately, the studio formula got kicked in almost like in that last 10 minutes. And it, to me, didn't ruin the film, but it, man, it, it left a sour taste in my mouth from it. So I, I almost feel like Chloe Zhao had her hands on this film for better or for worse up until that last 10 or 15 minutes. And then it was like, Marvel says, okay, great. But now here's some things I need you to do <laughs> that you have to do in this film to set us up for other stuff we want to do. And I... It didn't work. Um, it, it did not give me that final ending moment. So I, I felt like this film deserved for the grandiose scale it was building up up to that point. So. Yeah, I, I, I think I land on the same page. It was kind of interesting story, but the way they kind of tied things up at the end, I was just like, huh, interesting. Um, yeah. But but not ultimately not satisfactory. And had nothing to do with, you know, we often complain about the big CGI battle. Like Shang-Chi, when we reviewed that, the last like CGI battle with that with all these like dragons flying around and stuff. We had kind of, you know, it's kind of like, mm -hmm. okay, and now we turn our brains off and here's the ultimate battle. This one I thought was a little bit unique in how I, it did it. And so it wasn't that particular aspect that bothered yeah. me. But yeah, I think we're on the it's same page It's once the that. final battle's done and it's the epilogue. It's the, okay, where's everybody now oh, and gosh. what's going on? That, <laughs> That's such an irony. Well, and there's but, so many issues I could point out with that. Uh, <laughs> again, I just felt like at that point, the, the switch was flipped and it's no longer... Sure the film we've been watching, it's now Marvel studios uh, has jumped in and taking over the last 10, 15 minutes of this film. And so, that was disappointing to me. So, so I'll say something too, that, um, I, that's, that's a, it's a double edged sword. So it's not a backhanded compliment. I'm mm -hmm. not meaning it that way, but I like when films, obviously a lot of people do nowadays try to engage with diversity. Mm -hmm. It's a, that's a, that's a strong point. Mm -hmm. And with the Eternals, there was a lot of diversity going on. Mm -hmm. You had a, Camille Nanjiani's character, uh, Kingo, who was like a Indian Bollywood star. So that was good. And you get to mm -hmm. see like him trying to do a movie over there, and which is interesting just because obviously we talk movies on this podcast is to see like a Bollywood production with all its like insanity going on. That was kind of cool. Um, then you had um, a character, Makari, which I had to look up her name because there again, we had 10 Eternals and I'm like, who, who is this? But the thing that was unique about her or one of her characteristics was that she used sign language. Mm -hmm. She was, and that, so that was, that was cool. But then we just keep on like almost with every single Eternal, I can be like, Oh, and here's their diverse aspect. Oh, here's their diverse aspect. Um, for example, um, Brian Tyree Henry, which there again, I knew the actor, but I had to look up his name Fastos or something. Mm -hmm. Um, he's, um, He's a, a gay man with a family. And you're like, okay, cool. But it was just like so much of that 
that it kind of like actually kind of watered the film down because it was so like if they would have just had five characters and each one of them would have had a diverse background. Okay, cool. But no, they had 10. And so just not only did they had 10 characters, but like you're saying the little bits of time you got to spend with them, it was almost like diversity as a cliche. And I know that wasn't the intent. I know that. And we, we like diversity. Diversity is good, but it almost got to be so, like they had a checklist of like, okay, we're going to try to appease people that say that our universe isn't diverse. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I hear what you're saying. And I totally get people who, who kind of felt like it felt a little forced or a little cliched. But what I, what I appreciated about the film when it came to these characters, and this is the same on both their background mm-hmm. and their powers. I mean, even like looking at the powers they have. The film... I was really appreciated. It didn't do anything to say and sit us down and say, this character has this power (laughs) and they also have this kind of lifestyle. It's like, it was never painted in that broad stroke. Like even with their powers, like we see a opening battle scene, uh, in the, in the opening moments of the film and we get to see each character use their power. Okay. Nobody ever had to sit down and say, Oh, by the way, Icarus. Yeah. His powers are, he can do this and he can do this. We just see it. And like right away in that first battle, I'm like, got it. Okay. He can do this. And I, okay. Uh, Makari. Yep. Got it. She's super fast. Cool. Okay. It's like, there was never any hand holding. I felt like to say, here's who they are. And, oh, she's a deaf woman and you have to use sign language with her type of thing. It was just, it was just, you just saw it naturally. Right. So I did appreciate that. Now, could it have felt a little forced just because of the just the sheer number. Yeah, the sheer number. Yeah, sure. I could see that. But I did appreciate that the film didn't try to spoon feed anything. It's like, no, you're just going to understand who these people are by their actions, not by sitting down and having a big dialogue about it or having some sort of narrator or script on screen tell us each person and what their powers are or whatever or what their their characteristics are. So I like that. I, I thought I thought that was handled pretty well. Um the, the size of the cast is just going to be an issue. I just think it's almost near impossible for a two hour, even two hour and a half hour movie to give 10 characters any kind of meaningful storyline or, or, or through line for their, for their development. And it's, this is an origin story. Plus, you know, you have to kind of, and it's, an origin story of 10 different people all at once. So you're kind of like, Whoa, you know, well, you got the 10 different people and then you've got this bigger cosmic right. storyline of like who they're serving and why right. that you're having to absorb as well. Um, yeah. I mean, it's a lot, it's a lot to put in the film and I, I'm not saying it all worked the way it should have, but I still felt like it was an enjoyable experience for me. I, I enjoyed the movie. And I think if you go, that. if you go in, without any concept preconception or pre notion of who these people are, what the Eternals are. Like for instance, there again, I'm going to use, can you use my wife? Cause she often goes sees these movies with me at the end. She was just kind of like, yeah, it was, it was kind of a lot. And mm-hmm. I didn't really understand because I'm like, yeah. And she couldn't even, she was like that one character, like couldn't recall names. And I was like, well, I don't blame you. Cause I can only recall a couple of them. It's just cause I read the comic book, but yeah. So it, it was ultimately, it was, it was disappointing, but I, I think it was just, it was, Almost an impossible task to pull off such magnitude. I will say <laughs> my favorite moment we've talked a lot about recently uh, needle drops in films. Sometimes mm-hmm. they work last night in Soho. Sometimes they can kind of seem a little overbearing. Uh, like in Cruella, we like some of them. Other ones we kind of have problems with. And it's just a lot of it's just personal opinion. Um, and whether or not you happen to like the song, they're needle dropping. Um, <laughs> I would not have expected 
a Pink Floyd needle drop in a Chloe Zhao movie. And the thing is, too, you know, it's towards the beginning. They have kind of epic battle you were describing. And then they flash forward to present day and they use Pink Floyd's time. And I was like, okay, that's kind of the nerd in me was like, okay, that's kind of cool. That was one of my. That was one of my like moments that I really liked because it was yeah. clever, but it was also like it actually had kind of a meaning because it starts sure. off this role. You know, the way the song starts off at first, you don't realize what's going on. And then by the time the lyrics kick in, you're in present day. So yeah, I thought that that was a clever touch that worked for me. Yeah. Um, I, again, I, I, I had a good time with this film and enjoyed it more than I expected to. Um, I do think, but again, I can also see many, many people coming out of the theater hating it, and that's fine. <laughs> I get it. Right. understand the reasons why. Let me explain the couple of things I do feel like did not work. Okay. Uh, specifically. Um, the biggest thing I'm just still going to mention at the ending, I, I, I again, I, I cannot stress enough how I felt disjointed it was. Hmm. The epilogue of the film, where it's kind of a, we have finished the final battle. Okay. Now, where are all the characters going now? That whole, that whole process seems so tacked on solely existing for the purpose of setting up future things with all the characters. And it was just disappointing when it's like, yes, Marvel, I understand that this is to be part of, you know, your, your bigger franchise. I get that. And I'm, I'm, I have no problem with the post credit scenes on, on movies, I know a lot of people kind of get frustrated by them or think they're kind of pointless. I get it because I'm a comic book guy. I get it's the coming up next issue kind of teaser thing. And mm-hmm. I love that. I'm all for that. But I just it just felt like I was watching a different movie those last several min- minutes of, well, here's where these characters are going to go now. And here's what these characters are dealing with. And here's, you know, here's uh, we're sending this person off to here. And it just seemed all so formulaic and set up and just not satisfying. Um, so, and then I will say with the post credit sequences, again, I don't even feel comfortable lumping them into the movie because they, <laughs> they're separate. They're separate. And a lot of times they're directed by another director that's directing. Like, yeah. you know, it's not necessarily it's Chloe Zhao, but it's whoever's yeah. going to be doing that installment and gets to do the little. Yeah. And it's both of them. The comic book nerd in me, uh, thought one of them was interesting. Um, the first one, <laughs> Oh, really? That's yeah. the one I disliked. I, yeah. Well, no, no. It did not fit this film. It did not need to. I mean, it was a bad choice to be in this film. Okay. Both of them, I don't, I don't think, worked. Okay. But the comic book guy in me who knows the character that's being played by the person that we get to meet, I'm like, ah, okay. Would not have expected them to go that route hmm. with that character, especially with that actor. But okay, cool. That's kind of interesting. <laughs> Doesn't fit this film. Felt completely shoehorned in, did not match the tone, style, energy, or anything of the film. But at least from a, a uh, interconnected world that I do enjoy that Marvel's built, uh, there's a little part of me that I'm like, yeah, okay, that could be interesting. The second one, it, it was the most, it's the most frustrating of what Marvel tries to do with these teases in that. Uh, anyway, I don't get spoilers, but. <laughs> There is, you know, you have a voice. I'll just say a voice that, that comes out that I had to go and look up who that even was because mm. they give you nothing. And it's just, again, it's, it was a tease for a solely a, just a, let's have you sit through the whole credits and we'll give you a 30 second tease that you still have to go home and research to find out what it was. Um, those things got annoying with this film. This film did not deserve those kind of formulaic touches that you got in the last 10 minutes of it. Gotcha. Um, 
So that's my biggest issue. The only other thing, Kingo, I do know some of their names. Kingo was the Kamel Nandali <laughs> and character. And Kingo was his name. Oh. Yeah. Um, what happened to him? Yeah, good question. So so he, he again, I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything, but there's a decision made by all the characters about whether they're going to, what role they're going to take in the final battle sequence. And Kingo basically says, I'm out. You know, I'm not going to take part in this. And he does it. And he's gone. And, but then he just miraculously shows back up, you know, at a certain point in the epilogue, like, like nothing else happened. Like there was no consequences for that. And it's just the whole thing. It was just glaring. It just felt like something happens in the production or studio or something. Maybe his part was, they had to scrap from the final battle. So they had to find out a way to get around it. I don't know. It just, it just calls more questions in my head because it just didn't make any sense. Gotcha. Um, so really, the first two thirds of the film, I don't really have any complaints. I enjoyed it. It was that final final portion. I started to have more questions, and then definitely by the ending, I'm like, okay, well that that was a letdown the way it the way it all shaped up and ended. So I haven't had a chance, and I don't know when I will. Maybe over Thanksgiving, um, to give this a second viewing. Um, and I would be curious to see if now that I've kind of you know seen the groundwork and see how everything plays out if I would actually enjoy it a little more, mm-hmm. um, which maybe so, because things wouldn't be as confusing the second time Well, I time think around. you know the story going right. in, so you can pay pay a little more attention to uh, the specifics of the film and the, sure. the, the acting, the characters, and some of that, as opposed to just trying to figure out what's going on. Um, <laughs> right. I was surprised. I actually did never got confused. I felt like I absorbed it pretty well, um, which is not common for me, so... Maybe I was just more awake during the film screening. I don't Could know. Be. It's a possibility. Um, anyway, I liked it. I thought it was good. Is it one of my favorite Marvel movies? If I did have to drop it into the Marvel thing? No, no, it's not top tier things for me. But compared to what I expected coming in, it is better than I expected. And I, it is a film I am recommending to people, gotcha. but only to a specific type of person. Because you you have to be willing to go into a very big, all-encompassing, big cast story that may be confusing at times, that may be not always make the most sense and realizing that you never really get to attach to any one character very much at all. But if that's okay, <laughs> you'll probably really like the film. If the, any of that sounds problematic for you, you may possibly hate this film. And I <laughs> totally get it and understand. So Fair enough. <laughs> That's the weirdest review. <laughs> so like, yeah, I recommend it, but you may hate it. But so, I mean, it's a different okay. type of film. It's okay. You, as you stated in the opening, kind of, you know, don't go in expecting a Marvel film. I think that's, I think that's a good. Yeah, that is true. And I will say the audience I watched it with, I could tell many of them were expecting a Marvel movie and there was a lot of disappointment. Mm. I could actually hear a lot of grumbling at the end of the movie. Um, they loved the little post credit sequences oh. and all that, which is the part I hated. <laughs> and, yeah. but, um, you know, to each their own, I get sure. it. And that's fine. Sure. And, sure. uh, so that is the eternals I'm recommending. Chris is saying he's disappointed by it. Um, but not a dramatic disappointment. No, it's more of a no. letdown. And for you. I think, yeah. And I think if I were to give it, which I will eventually, uh, a letterbox writing, it would probably just be a three. You know, oh, that's actually, that's actually okay. not bad. Okay. It's okay. I'd probably be three and a half. Okay. Maybe, maybe four out of five. I don't know. Four out of five might be pushing it. Three and a half is probably a pretty good save. Like it's on the positive side for me. Right. But I, I will say the, 
the ending really dropped off a whole star for me just about. And, um, and it's just, it was a lot. So a lot to, a lot to process, a lot to, to try to uh, get through in a two and a half hours. So understood. Speaking of a lot to get through, let's move through <laughs> our second review. Okay. Eternals, by the way, still in movie theaters doing pretty good. Um, so it's still going to be there for a little while through the holidays, I would imagine. Um, so yeah, there you go. Let's get into our second review though, which is the latest film by a writer, director, auteur, Wes Anderson. It is the French dispatch. It began as a holiday. Eager to escape a bright future on the Great Plains, Arthur Howitzer Jr. transformed the series of travelogue columns into the French Dispatch, a factual weekly report on the subjects of world politics, the arts, high and low, and diverse stories of human interest. You don't think it's almost too seedy this time? No, I don't. For decent people. It's supposed to be charming. So we have finally gotten Wes Anderson's new film, The French Dispatch. It's a love letter to journalists set in an outpost of an American newspaper in a fictional 20th century French city that brings to life a collection of stories published in the French Dispatch magazine. Um, The way the film is set up is Bill Murray plays the editor chief guy, the kind of the founder of this magazine. And it kind of leads off with him passing away. So then the final issue of this magazine is supposed to kind of be a tribute and kind of be like setting up, you know, some of the best stories and then have his obituary. So the film itself is kind of like a collection of, I guess you could say short films in a way, Um, but you have, you know, cast members that are in each one. So you have the cycling reporter, the concrete masterpiece revisions to a manifesto and the private dining room of the police commissioner. Now, hearing all that and um, being familiar with Wes Anderson, some people could immediately say, without even seeing the first frame of the film, (laughs) uh, yeah, I'm out. (laughs) This sounds like the most Wes Anderson, Wes Anderson-y movie possible. Um, Knowing all that, and we have reviewed several Wes Anderson films on this show, most recently we talked about Isle of Dogs back in 2018, Alan, how did you receive the French Dispatch? Would you subscribe? I guess oh, I should say that's a that's a good that's a good one. Um, hmm. This is a tough one, Chris. Hmm. So here's the thing: if I were to if if reviewing films involved checklists and a lot of more like very technical ways of structuring your reviews, and you had like okay, acting, production design, music. Use of humor, use of emotion. You know, how do you feel about all those? I'd be checking. Yep, acting's great. Production design, awesome. Music, great. Use of humor, yes, perfect. Use of emotion, yeah, actually pretty good. Everything checks out. Everything's positive. I I, I feel a but coming. Everything on. checks out. <laughs> but but <laughs> this movie. It's, it was just too much for me. <laughs> really? It was just too much. I I don't know if I've ever felt more exhausted oh, after a film. Wow. But you know, the thing is, as I sit back and after, after watching it, I, I still can say I loved every element of this film. It's just, it, it was the most Wes Anderson-y of any Wes Anderson film. And I... I the problem for me was just, and I think unless you are super fine tuned into Wes Anderson films, 
it's it's just it, it's doing so much so many layers so many levels deep of storytelling that it's it's just a lot to process but that being said i admire everything it did okay i liked all of the elements of what it was doing do i wish that i could have had a movie for each of the stories because i did enjoy each of the stories yeah would i have liked to have a little more breathing room for each of the characters. Yes. Would I have liked to have had a little more, a little less complexity to the storytelling, especially by the time we got to the third story. Well, at that point, my brain, I was about fried <laughs> watching. <laughs> yeah. Is this, is this the police commissioner one? Yeah. Okay. Um, so it's a tough review for me, Chris. I, I, I loved everything that this film was doing. I loved every moment of this film. I loved every choice that this film made artistically and acting wise and everything. It was just where, you know, the Eternals we were just saying was a lot to go through a lot happening in two and a half hours. This was 45 minutes shorter. And I felt like was doing more pressed into an even shorter time period. So it's a recommendation for me. I'm very anxious to hear your thoughts. I kind of already picked up from your tone. I think I know where you are with this. But I am going to say on record, it was a lot <laughs> and it was tough. And it's one that I am desperately now looking forward to a second viewing to maybe process and absorb more of what Mr. Anderson was giving out because it was, it was a lot. <laughs> that's, that's, that's all I can say. That's it. It was a lot. I mean, I'm sitting in the theater. I'm with two other people and about, about a third of the way through this film I kind of just, I, I think I let out this, like exhaling, and the two of them are like, "Are you okay?" I'm like, "It's, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm maybe I'm trying too hard to process everything." But boy, wow. anyway, Chris, take it so, away. How, where are you with this? I really, really liked this film. Okay. All right, I figured um, you would. And I, and I think there again, I'm kind of like the Eternals, and with Dune, because those the longer a movie is, usually it's like the first time through. I'm just kind of getting down the details. I need to watch it a second time to kind of firm up why I may or may not like it. Um, with this film, I like it, and I want to see it again because I feel like the frames are so densely packed that I couldn't catch all. Like for instance, the very it started off the very first one they do is the cycling reporter, which Owen Wilson kind of goes around and makes these funny comparisons to an older style or older place in France and like how it is now. Like they kind of compare, like they'll split the screen and show like different, Mm -hmm. different, you know, settings or whatever, different places, locations that seemed, it was fun, but it seemed really kind of disposable. Mm -hmm. But I think if I was actually able to pay attention to a little bit more, I would catch a lot of like meticulous, well, you could see the meticulous detail, but it would be funnier to me because I would catch a lot more of it. I liked it, but it was just so, and it was pretty quick. So I was like, huh, that's interesting. That was very disposable. Then I'll kind of go one by one, then move on to the concrete masterpiece, which is Benicio del Toro as this artist. And Leah Sedu is like his inspiration. She's a prison guard because the artist is in prison. Um, I really, yeah. really, well, really, that was my really, really like that, that was one. my favorite. Actually, I was more upset, bothered, disappointed that I didn't get to spend more time with those characters in that story. Because, yeah, I, that was my favorite part of the whole film. Okay. Yeah. And so then we moved to the third one, which was Revisions to a Manifesto, which a lot of people know that Timothy Chalamet, this is his first entrance into the Wes Anderson mm. world. 
um, him being in Dune and now he's in this movie. So he's had like two kind of, you know, profile films come out. Um, and it had, so he plays this revolutionary student revolutionary and Francis McDormand plays this journalist that kind of like keeps up with him and tells a story of his, you know, revolution and, that story, while interesting, I felt like it did drag. Yeah, um, and it was it was just the writing, and I felt like they were trying to maybe I don't know. I felt like they were trying to do too much, and if yeah. they could have trimmed I, some I of that story and given it to the other stories, I may have or liked it. That's the one. Even though I liked it, and towards the end, there is a point where Francis McDormand kind of has this. Um, confrontation with a female revolutionary where they're not mm. confrontation, but they kind of have this like back and forth standoff, like speech back and forth to each other that I thought worked. And it was kind of like towards the conclusion of the, mm. the little short. I really liked that. And that kind of woke me up and brought me around to it. And then they moved to the final one, which is the private dining room of the police commissioner. And that's with Jeffrey Wright, who plays this uh, writer who kind of tells a story. Um, I really liked that one, and I think if I hadn't have been exhausted by the story that came right before it, not exhausted, but a little worn down, mm. then I might have enjoyed the fourth one even more. But overall, there was a, a lot of elements in the fourth one that I really liked. Um, they do, which I think for Wes Anderson is a first for him. He's done stop motion, but outright pure animation – I couldn't yeah, remember I if he'd ever that, done it before. I think that's first time with that. Whereas they do, they do that in this mm-hmm. one. Oh, and there's also, there's jumping back and forth in some of the sort of between color and black and white. You know, he does the whole aspect ratio uniqueness that he kind of did a little bit in Grand Budapest Hotel. They kind of do that again here. So yeah, it's kind of a, a grab bag, a greatest hits, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it worked. And I think maybe the reason it worked was because unlike Grand Budapest, this was kind of like, some shorts put together. It was an sure. anthology. And because of that aspect, it worked for me. Um, but they would get kind of like you, you said with uh, Eternals, I can see some people just saying, I think you have to have two qualifiers. A, have you ever seen a Wes Anderson movie before? Mm-hmm. And if you have, did you like it? If you didn't, well, then don't bother. And if you did like it, okay, are you kind of getting weary of his style? If so, then don't bother. You know, so they're like these little, <laughs> mm. these little checklists. Yeah. I feel like this, like you said, it has a lot of good performances, the production designs, also, everything that you would expect. Yeah. A Wes Anderson it checks film all to the be, boxes. it does. Yeah. But um, I can see people being frustrated, still frustrated. By yeah. It. I think the, the, I guess, I mean, yeah, the third story, the revolutionary story mm-hmm. was, was where I started to lose lost some patience Mm -hmm. because I do feel like that story, it was made. I mean, I understand Anderson as a filmmaker, he likes layers. He likes stories that can go up to a point and then take a detour. And let's tell you more of the backstory of that one character. And it may lead to another story. And then we come back to original story. He loves (laughs) that digging deeper and getting layers upon layers. Right. I think it kind of hit the max for me with that third story, that revolutionary story where it's like we had gone two or three layers deep at one point. And I already thought the story was a little kind of chaotic and, and hard to follow to begin with. At that point, yes, I could tell my patient was starting to run a little thin. Mm-hmm. And uh, as much as I thought the final story was so well done and I liked the story by that point, like you said, the patience was thin. So when you give me another story <laughs> that goes three or four levels deep and flips flops between two or three different time periods, I'm like, okay, it's, it's, 
I, I felt the film was almost a little bit of a test hmm. in that maybe I was trying to pay too much attention. Maybe I was trying to see everything in the frame in each situation. Okay. And maybe it's just overwhelming. Maybe sure. if I can kind of check my brain out a little bit and just watch it for what it's, what it's showing me, not what I'm trying to read into every frame, maybe it's a more relaxing experience to watch. So, Well, yeah. and I'll say too, with the way they told these four stories, the first one was kind of like a – it was a traditional way of like, you just kind of jump in the story and it's being told to you mm-hmm. as if it's just being narrated to you. The concrete masterpiece, which is the second one. And then the last one, the private dining room concrete masterpiece is told as if somebody's presenting like a Ted talk yeah, <laughs> and it's right. Tilda Swinton doing it mm-hmm. kind of like an art museum, not a Ted talk, but it's that idea, which I found that a good, it was a good way to break the story. So it didn't become sure. as like monotonous, I guess. Mm-hmm. And with the private dining room, um, that was um, Jeffrey Wright being TV, on a TV interview. So that as well yeah. provided some good like yeah, breaks. It mixed it up. Which there, as you were saying, the revisions to a manifesto. The problem with that is it seemed to be just pretty much straightforward a story, mm-hmm. and so that one seemed to be yeah. a little longer, didn't work. But yeah, I just I there's so much I appreciated about this film. I'm I, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Again. I'm with you. I, I think it's a extremely well crafted movie. I think it's extremely, it uh, has a lot of humor, has a lot of even some motion, uh, moments of emotion. I do think the, I will say the ending of the film, my favorite part of the film, uh, the ending moment in the newspaper or, or magazine offices um, to me was the most effective. Like, I, I agree. It worked. It just, it, it, as much as I may have gotten frustrated or th- patients run thin at different parts of the film by the end. Yes. It, it brought it all together and I love the way it ended. I'm like, okay, even if I had some frustrations throughout this viewing experience, I'm still on board with the film because of that ending. So, well, and Murray's, you know, Bill Murray is in the film, but he has a smaller role, but Mm -hmm. his appearance back in the fourth story, the private dining room thing where he talks to Jeffrey Wright at one point, yeah, I was I was not That's expecting good. that to hit as hard as it did. No, no, it was, that it was, was such really good. a good scene. And then that from that point to the end of the film, all worked. Gotcha. It's just you know it, it just did test patience to get to that point. Um, yeah, no, I I I don't want to give off the impression I did not like this film. Sure, um, I did, I will admit I walked out of the movie theater I was exhausted. <laughs> my my uh, other viewers with me. Um, both liked it immensely better than I did coming out of the theater. Interesting. Since thinking about the film more, I have come to appreciate and like it a lot more. It's just that that experience was just a lot. And it was tough to kind of, you know, for someone like me who I really like to pay attention to films when I watch them and really get discouraged when I feel like I'm not following a story or I'm not processing everything that should be happening. Uh, this film was a real test for me on that end. <laughs> and I don't always feel like it passed it, uh, especially by about the midpoint of the film. I was starting to run pretty ragged. But um, uh, but the ending did tie it all back together. And I do desperately want to see it again. So if that's any kind of it recommendation good to make, yeah. I guess, on that. So, you know, it's funny. You and I, when, when, uh, when uh, Wes Anderson was going to be releasing the Grand Budapest Hotel, you and I talked about it on this podcast. I think we even watched the trailer. Mm-hmm. And I remember us both saying, okay, this this could be where Wes Anderson, or at least maybe I said it, this could be the point where Wes Anderson kind of goes way too Wes Anderson for me. And it didn't. Grand Budapest Hotel, I really liked. And yes, was it a true Wes Anderson film? Absolutely. 
this one has cranked it up. If, if Grand Budapest <laughs> was at 10, this one went to 11. Well, and, but I'm also very happy that he's making these films. So I don't want him to change anything with it. I just, um, try a Wes Anderson anthology of short stories all packed into a one larger story is probably just a lot to bite off. So shoot. I'll say that, um, it's interesting you bring up Grand Budapest Hotel, um, with this film specifically too, because in kind of in summary of how I feel about, uh, the film, when I saw Grand Budapest the first time, I wasn't that big of a fan. The Wes Andersonisms bothered me, mm-hmm. but I was also tired when mm-hmm. I walked into the movie theater. <laughs> um, with this film, um, I was excited to see it. I was, you know, saw it like at a two o'clock screening or something, and I loved it. <laughs> so it's interesting because, and I wasn't. So I think the thing is, Wes Anderson, take a nap before. <laughs> before yeah, that may be honestly his pacing and everything is yes. very kind of frenetic, and so you have to. And especially with this one, with all these different stories, there was a lot going on. But Budapest now, upon rewatches, um, it's probably my favorite Wes Anderson. Yeah. If not, it's really close it's to the close. top. Wow. And now this film is like, I, upon a second viewing, it might take the top, wow. the top level. So that's that's how much I like it. So. Well, the the other thing I'll give credit to this film for doing. Um, it caused me to watch the Royal Tenenbaums again the next night. Ah. Um, partly because I just needed a palate cleanser from the night before. And I mean, Royal Tenenbaums is my favorite Wes Anderson film. Okay. It's actually one of my favorite films, period. Okay, period. So I kind of had to watch that and just. Because you were bombed about your French dispatch experience? No, not bombed. It was just, I felt like it was just, I was overloaded by that. And mm-hmm. I kind of need to see a more. Uh, deliberately paced Wes Anderson film, which gotcha. Royal Tenenbaums. I mean, yeah, it's got a lot going on too, but it it take it has one singular story to tell, and it does it over two hours, and it's paced extremely well, and it just works on every level. So I do want to see a French Dispatch again. Uh, I am going to give it a recommendation, but with those same caveats you mentioned, it has to be again. Take a nap. Uh, our our caveats <laughs> for these two reviews so far is it really you have to fit certain criteria. For these films to not, work for not you, for I think. everyone. Yeah, yeah, they're not. I'm not going to tell my parents or uh, people to go see the French Dispatch because that will be a nightmare experience. <laughs> <laughs> but I think you, like you said, if people are, fran- are fans of Wes Anderson and are not, you saw the Grand Budapest Hotel and you really liked it and you want more mm-hmm. of that type of film. Yes, perfect. You'll like the French Dispatch. It'll be great. But do take a nap beforehand or go in in the middle of the day or something where you're not tired. So. <laughs> It's a good call. All right. Well, that is the French Dispatch and the Eternals we've talked about. we got one more film we're going to talk about. This is one that we just had as a Foot Candle Film Society screening just this past week here in our uh, hometown of Hickory, North Carolina. So we thought we'd talk about it as well. The film is directed by comedian, actor, Michael Showalter. It is The Eyes of Tammy Faye. It's all part of our mission to help people. Who's hurting or they feel like they've been left out. God has a plan for us. What did he tell you to do this time? Jesus keeps a ticking me higher and higher. Jim will preach and I'll sing. Higher and higher. God does not want us to be poor. <laughs> Chris, you and I grew up in North Carolina. That is that is a fact. Is so the story news. of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker, fairly well known to us. Yes. As they 
even though they came from other parts of the country, they mm-hmm. eventually made their home here in North Carolina and set up the PTL organization and uh, the uh, town uh, that they basically took over with their own theme park and, yeah. and uh, a place of a business there. So we know the story. We, we were there in the heyday of the 80s when they became larger than life, but also had a dramatic fall from grace. Yes. So with the eyes of Tammy Faye, we have an intimate look at the rise, fall, and quote, redemption. I'm going to get back to that in a little bit. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Of televangelist Tammy Faye Baker. Now, I think it's really interesting that that's the logline of this film. Rise, fall, and redemption of Tammy Faye Baker. Uh, the t- film is titled Eyes of Tammy Faye. So yes, I get it. It's going to be very focused on Miss Baker as opposed to maybe everybody else. Given that Jessica Chastain playing Tammy Faye Baker has been getting a lot of accolades and potential Oscar buzz for her performance as Miss Baker. We have Andrew Garfield as Jim Baker, her husband. Um, directed by Michael Showalter, who last, I think, did a film, uh, The Big Sick, with Camille mm-hmm. uh, Nanjanali. Um, kind of tying back to our Eternals review. And so, Chris, you know, it's a biopic. You and I have had kind of back and forth uh, likes, dislikes with the biopic format. We can find it to be kind of tiresome or very formulaic, but also when you've got some really good acting to, to bring it, uh, to help bring it along, we typically find some good value in that. With this being a little more of a connected story to us and growing up, you know, it's not every day we get to watch a film about characters that we saw in the news on a regular basis. And we know we're just within an hour of us uh, doing what they were doing. How did you feel about the eyes of Tammy Faye as a film? And did it work for you? Did you learn anything or do you feel like it uh, did a disservice to the story it was trying to tell? So it's this, this is a unique film and I think it, it shows that it's from a director and I liked the big sick, but it shows from a, it comes from a director that kind of has a comedic vein in a lot of the stuff that he does. Cause that's where he kind of got started was doing a lot of comedy and big sick was a drama, but it did have comedic elements in it. Um, and I feel like that's where this film struggled for me was with tone. Mm-hmm. It wasn't with the performances. I thought Jessica Chastain did a really good job as Tammy Faye. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, Andrew Garfield, for what he was able to do, did a good job with Jim Baker. I'm also saying Vincent D'Onofrio as Jerry mm-hmm. Falwell was really good. Mm-hmm. Something that too that was interestingly done and subtly done, I felt like, was the slow but steady makeup, hair and makeup job they did on Tammy Faye, kind of showing her mm-hmm. in a progression throughout the film, worthy of comparison to some of the like hair and makeup that they did with Cruella, actually, which, you know, that's another film that we talked about here on the show. But just the tone, and I'll try to give an example of which, for like you're saying, a more typical biopic, and for a, a biopic that's not about like a comedian, because then you could do things that make it kind of, you know, crazy or whatever. But this is not a comedy, but, you know, it has, but it basically the opening scenes with Tammy Faye and Jim, like them getting to know each other and meet cute, like it just seemed really heightened and kind of silly the way they were being cutesy mm-hmm. with one another. And you're like, Okay, maybe maybe that's the tone they're going for, but as they get more into PTL and the money starts coming in, it then shifts to this obviously kind of dark and ominous tone where you know bad things are going on and you know money is being embezzled and 
you know, Tammy becomes addicted to painkillers. And so it just, the shifting tones didn't, didn't work for me or they were really distracting. Um, and I think that was just something in the script and maybe in some of the direction or just how you chose to, how you chose to show certain things. But mm-hmm. I will say Jessica Chastain, good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what was your, what was your initial take on the film? Um, yeah, no, I, I, I thought it was, I thought it was good. Um, I didn't have as much issue with tone. Okay. Um, I was, I, I, I viewed it as a biopic and I think the, the two lead actor performances were both really, really strong. Okay. Uh, both Chastain and Andrew Garfield, I thought were both really good in this. And if it, if that hadn't worked, the film, the, the film just would not have anything for me. Um, I thought storytelling wise, it, my big hang up with the film or the reason I can't give it just a glowing recommendation is uh, it's very obvious from the title, from the log line <laughs> and everything. This is going to be Tammy Faye's story, which is fine. But it's also extremely sympathetic to Tammy Faye, almost that's, to a fault. That's true. Almost to a point where I'm kind of, I was got frustrated at times because it's like, I understand that they want to portray her as kind of this naive, uh, overly optimistic person that just wants to believe the best and good in everybody. I had a really hard time with their representation of her that she knew nothing about what was going on and that you felt so sympathetic to her again. And I'm not trying to come across and this as, is based on a documentary right. called out of the same yeah. name eyes of Tammy. Ferry. Yeah. I, I it, it did pull me out of the movie at times. Cause I had to kind of keep as I'm watching this, I'm, I'm reminding myself. All right. I don't know if I can still, I don't, the film wants me to be as sympathetic to her as humanly possible. And right. I don't know if I can pull that off. Right. Um, yeah. I felt like it could have, there are some times I'll point yeah. out two times. Um, one is very minor, but they're in a, they're kind of going out to look what is going to become their theme park land. Mm-hmm. And she is wearing a white fur. Oh, get yeah. up. Sure. Okay. And previously in the film, she had criticized, um, another televangelist wife. I can't remember which one, not Jerry Falwell's, but some, mm-hmm. somebody else's wife. I think it was uh, Pat Robertson. Yes. Pat yeah. Robertson's mm-hmm. wife who is wearing like a mink yeah. or whatever. And she kind of comments like, Oh, you know, she doesn't need all this. And then it, when they're going to look at the land that was going to become um, their mm-hmm. theme park, she's wearing this outfit. She Somebody comments to her yeah. like, oh, you know, are you cold? Like, you know, yeah. <laughs> and she kind of shrugs it off. So that's one part. And then mm. where, but it, yeah, I, I agree. It, it was very, very and they again, treated it with kid gloves. Well, and they were trying to play it up like she had become corrupted or given everything she wanted by the people, by Jim, the people around her. And she just didn't know how to control herself on it. But I, yeah, again, I, I, well, okay. And yeah. then I'll say, which is, um, my favorite, I think one of my favorite scenes of the movie, just because of how I am interpreting it mm-hmm. <laughs> and it comes towards the end, uh, Tammy Faye goes to perform. And I think if I'm not mistaken, she's singing the battle Helm of the Republic. Yes, she is. And the way they shoot that sometimes she's up on stage mm-hmm. and she's by herself and she's just like giving it her all in it. But then other times, She's on stage and you see this from the same shot, but she has like a gospel chorus behind her and it's this huge production number. So it's kind of like what's in Tammy Faye's mind versus what is reality. Yeah. And it's like how she, you know, so maybe she just just doesn't quite live in reality and how she thinks she's being received with like Mm. this big show behind her or whether it's just 
her on a little microphone when she hadn't performed in like yeah. a couple of years. So I thought that little, I thought that touch was interesting. It was. Um, and let you kind of see like, you know, what is real, what is perception, what is, so I like that aspect of it, but I, I will agree with you that it, it was very careful with how it treated Tammy. Very, very careful. And, and uh, you know, they're like you said, giving her deniability, but just Jim Baker, they just, they totally, oh. well, even paint, from the very, is just a demon from, from the, the very, very first scene we met, meet Jim Baker. We're already led to believe that, okay, this guy is a charlatan. <laughs> he is a, uh, he's in this for the wrong reasons, you know, and he's going to corrupt the people around him right, right away. Like, right. There's no redeeming <laughs> qualities to Jim Baker in this film. I don't think at all. Tammy Faye, they want you to feel the victim. They want you to feel uh, everything was put upon her by first parents and then her upbringing and then then by Jim and then the church and other political uh, uh, church figures. And it's just I, I, I never got the sense that anybody ever tried to say, you know what, she, she kind of. Yeah. She needs to take some responsibility on some things here too. Sure. That didn't seem to be the interest of the film. Now that's maybe, maybe I'm getting a little too moralizing on the film itself from a filmmaking standpoint. I thought the, the biopic story format worked fine in this film. I did like it. It was entertaining. I think it had a nice, I mean, you mentioned the humor already and yeah, yeah. it did have some, it did have some moments of good humor. There were some, I mean, you have the, the, the stereotypical montage sequences at times where you just kind of pass a lot of time. Those sure. were made entertaining. I yeah. did enjoy the montage sequences mainly because you're getting to enjoy Tammy Faye in different versions of costumes and makeup performances. Right. And all of that worked for me. So uh, the behind the scenes, kind of the production side of them building up their show and the network was also very intriguing. Um, so I did, I'd liked it. And I think from, again, someone who has already had some familiarity with the story, I think there was enough here to add to my knowledge of the story, mm-hmm. have some better understanding of what was happening. I felt a little more sympathetic to Tammy Faye Baker by the end of the film, which I know sure. is part of the goal. I think the film was trying <laughs> sure. to go for. Um, but I also did wonder if, if it was too much, if it was, uh, trying to, trying to direct our, 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 our uh, our thoughts and condolences and everything to her a little too pointed uh, for the for the film to be effective. So, yeah, know. I think we kind of land in a very similar place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I will say it's good. I mean, I think and I think it's worth watching for the performances. I mean, I do think I'd be surprised if Chastain wasn't in the final discussions when lead actress uh, nominations came around. I actually would be surprised if she was not in the nomination field. Sure. Um, and I think if she does get nominated, I think there'll be a renewed interest in this film. And and it is worth watching for her performance and yeah. for Garfield's performance. Sure. Um, everybody's performance, I thought, was pretty good. And um, if you have an interest in the Bakers and that whole uh, period of time and the newsworthiness of it, then yes, I think this film is a great supplement to that. I just uh, just be prepared. You you may come out a lot more sympathetic to a particular character that may or may not be warranted if, if you knew the whole story of what was really going on. So, sure. Yeah. All right. That is the eyes of Tammy Faye. Um, it is already available online to rent as of like this week. So as the time you're hearing this podcast, you could actually go and rent it, watch it on Amazon, Apple TV, any of those places right now. So, um, we're both saying, yeah, it's worth checking out for, for certain reasons. And uh, giving it a generally positive pass as a film. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. We'll go with that route. 
All right. So that's our three reviews, Chris. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we're just going to hit a couple of news items of some movie news coming up, uh, some productions or interesting notes of things happening in the movie world. And then we'll both end the show with a recommendation we'd like to give to you, our audience. So stay tuned. You're listening to Foot Candle Films. We will be back in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the TheMesh.TV. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry with you here from the Foot Candle Film Society and Foot Candle Film Festival. We had the first part of our show. We did the reviews of The Eternals. We did a review of The French Dispatch and a review of The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Now let's shift over and talk about some movie news. We like to kind of keep our eye on what's happening in the movie world, especially when it comes to upcoming projects or films that we may have some interest in following as they go forward. Uh, mine's more, I've got one item. I think Chris, you have a news item to share as well. So uh, why don't you go ahead first, Chris? And what, sure. what's, uh, what do you want to share with us on the news side? Today? Okay. So I'm going to tell you two different upcoming projects Okay. and you have to say, I am going to see what you have to go see one of these and I want to know I have to see one of them. Yes. And let's try to make it a little more interesting. You have to, hmm. you have, well, yeah, let's just, I was going to say like, maybe you have to like say, which one would you financially back? But no, no, that's a, yeah. So you don't have to go see them. You have to financially back. Oh, okay. One of these movies. Yeah, so I am, I'm going to put my money behind one of these two films and yes. which one would I do? Okay. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So first up, yep. Taika Waititi is mm-hmm. now going to direct a mm-hmm. Tower of Terror film for Disney. Tower of Terror based on a theme park ride for Disney. Which, which their track record is Pirates of the Caribbean and then Jungle Cruise. So now they're, they're, gonna, they're working their way. You know, they decide to skip It's a Small World or whatever, but they're doing a Tower of Terror film okay. All right. with Taika Waititi. I've got that Okay, uh, no actors are really have been attached to it. They haven't started shooting it yet. Interestingly, though, uh, Scarlett Johansson is a producer. Okay. She's resolved her dispute over Black Widow and the box office returns. Okay, so that's that's one thing. Tower of Terror. Got Maybe it. Maybe she'll end up being in the film. First we don't choice. Know. First so, option. Yep. Tower mm-hmm. of Terror. Taika Waititi. Second, mm-hmm. they are rebooting Haunted Mansion, which is also a Disney property. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to put your money behind one of two films based on a theme park ride at... <laughs> All right. Disney. So, do I know anything about the Haunted Mansion movie? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, it's being done by Justin Simeon, who did uh, Dear White People and Bad Hair. I don't know if you've ever seen either. Bad Hair just came out last year. I, I saw Dear White People. Yeah. Okay, but you mm-hmm. saw Dear White People. Okay, so he directed that. Um, this film, but they do have some stars involved with this one. It's going to be Tiffany Haddish, Lakeith Stanfield, Owen Wilson, and Rosario Dawson. Hmm. Okay, so those are the people involved with that film. So. You got to put your money behind one of two Disney films based off theme park rides. And I know wow. how much you love the Jungle Cruise. Mm. So are you going to go Haunted Mansion, directed by Justin Simeon, or Tower of Terror, directed by Taika Waititi? You have to do with one of okay, them. Okay, I'll do one. Uh, I'm going to go the Haunted Mansion. Okay. Now, you know. For a couple reasons. Mm. That they had a Haunted Mansion yes. with Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy. Okay. Yeah. And I think we need to get that one just off the books. <laughs> <laughs> and redo. No, I think Justin Simeon, I'm more curious 
what he would do with a franchise type movie for a big you know conglomerate like Disney. Haunted Mansion's also, I mean, in my mind, it's the more classic attraction. You could do more with it, I think. Um, I, I, both projects could be interesting. I just, my, if, if you're telling me I got to choose one, I'm going with the one where I already know the cast. And it's mm-hmm. a very interesting cast. Sure, sure. The director is not one I would peg for a project like this. Taika Waititi, yes, I could He's see him. He's already in the Disney state. I could He's see doing him Thor. doing it. Yeah, I could see him doing the film and and... It would probably be entertaining, but uh, I'm going to go Haunted Mansion route. Okay. What about you? Where, where are you going to pick? I know you're a YTD fan. I am a YTD fan, and I really like Tower of Terror, and I'm, and it's never been done before, True. so I'm curious what they're going to do. Um, however, that being said, Haunted Mansion, I was that's one of my favorite rides. Yeah, and same when here. they did the original with Eddie Murphy, I was actually excited about it and was, of course, let down. <laughs> so, yeah. But hearing this take, I'm, I'm interested to see. So... If I had to do one, mm-hmm. I, I would probably, even though I, we know more about Haunted Mansion, so that would be the mm-hmm. safer bet because you have a cast yeah. and everything. That's a big thing um, But for you me. know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick by Taika Waititi go just to Terror. see what he does with Tower of Terror. All right. Well, here in about three years, once both projects have come out <laughs> right. and we see box office return, we'll see right. whose investment paid off better. Sure. Does that sound good? That sounds fair. Interesting. I didn't know about either of those projects, actually. So uh, what do you know? Um, all right, well, let me move over to my news item. Okay. Um, the Lethal Weapon franchise. I Any thoughts on that? Heard of it. There were four movies. There were four. Uh, Danny, uh, uh, Danny Glover and Mel Gibson, uh, also with Joe Pesci as of Which, the second movie onward. So he was second movie onward. I don't think he was in the first one. He was okay. just in the second one, then became kind of a part of the team, the third and fourth one. Yeah. Okay. I think, I've definitely seen the first one. Yeah. And I think I've seen the second one, but I do not believe I've seen the third or fourth. Okay. Um, yeah. I, uh, I, you know, Richard Donner directed all four of the, oh, uh, he did do he all did four, do all four okay. of the, uh, the lethal weapon films okay. directed and produced all four of them. Um, I really liked the first two. I thought they were good. Actually, I mean, they, they were kind of the ones you use as the prototype of the buddy cop movies, right. you know, two very different people that have to kind of work through their differences and be partners. Sure. It kind of set that standard. And I think the first two, there was a lot of, yeah, they were good. They were good action movies. They had a lot of some good emotion, especially on Mel Gibson's character being kind of a suicidal, you know, mentally unhinged kind of character. By the third and fourth movie, I think it had just settled into a buddy cop comedy uh, routine with some action in there. And that those did not work as well for me. When was the last, when did four come out? That's like a while ago. Oh, it's been quite a while. Okay. Yeah, it's been quite a while. Um, well, the first Lethal Weapon movie came out more than 30 years ago. Oh, so wow. Just for, okay. To kind of put it on the perspective there. Gotcha. So Variety has reported, confirmed that there is going to be a fifth entry of this classic action franchise. Uh, it's been in development for several years, and Richard Donner was going to be involved with it, but unfortunately he passed away uh, earlier this year. He was going to maybe direct it? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. I think that was a possibility of it. Okay. He was 91. I don't know if he was going to direct or maybe just produce, produce it, but he was still sure. going to be involved in it. Um, but they are still moving forward. So there is going to be a fifth installment of Lethal Weapon called, at this point, Lethal who Weapon, no. Lethal <laughs> Lethal Weapon, Weapon who cares? 5. Okay. Um, but the announcement has been that uh, Mel Gibson, who is the star of the film mm. and franchise, is going to also be directing Lethal Weapon 5. Interesting. Now. Uh, is Danny Glover coming back? Uh, that's the plan. Okay. 
And Donner's, uh, Richard Donner. Is Joe Donner's, Pesci coming back? I don't know. Richard, you know. He did The Irishman. That was a big deal to yeah, get yeah. him to come do that. Well, Richard Donner's wife, Lauren Schuler Donner, is going to be producing the film. So it's still going to be connected with the, the Donner family. Okay. Um, so we'll see. Now, Mel Gibson, obviously some... Interesting, interesting, uh, interesting uh, career development for him in the last, you know, I'd say 10 to 20 years. Uh, he was a huge bankable action star uh, for many, even romantic comedy uh, star for many, many years. Then he started directing his own films and I think started to get a little bit of a reputation kind of a, I mean, it, it, it's no secret. A lot of his films are very violent, very sadomasochistic in a way. Mm-hmm that kind of got a little bit of a reputation of that. If he's going to make a film, there's going to be people tortured and people just, it's going to be very brutal. And now he's shifted personality, him in, in the personal space, obviously getting into some trouble with comments he's made and a Semitic uh, race related issues for him. And a lot of, you know, just bad press and negative things he's done towards different population or said about different populations in our country. So that's, He's still acting. He's still in films. They're typically now smaller films. He's been a lot more independent productions. We did talk about one that we actually really liked he was in, uh, Dragged Across Concrete uh, from a couple years ago. That was, it was a rough film, but I thought, you know, he was really good in it. I mean, I think he still has a role to play. I could not tell you what the last film he directed was. So, yeah, the ones that I'm aware, he did Apocalypto and he obviously did um, Passion of the Christ. Passion of the Christ. Those are the ones that I'm aware of. But beyond that, um, I don't know what he's done elsewhere. Those were the two that were kind of the big ones. Right. Which which came up? You know, our intern didn't provide us with that. Which came first? Was oh, it? Passion of the Christ. Okay. And then Apocalypto. Yeah. Okay. So Braveheart was like his first. Yeah. Oh, that, sure. Well, it was his second big movie. I think he did one. Before that, did he do pay? Was he responsible for payback, or was that somebody else? No, he just acted on that. Okay, he just acted. He did the Man Without a Face back in 1993. That was his first directed uh, film. Gotcha. Then he did Braveheart. Then it was The Passion of the Christ. Then Apocalypto. He did Hacksaw Ridge, the one with Andrew Andrew Garfield. Garfield. Yep, that's right. And supposedly on his IMDb page right now, in pre-production, The Passion of the Christ Resurrection. Yeah, what? so he's doing a follow-up to The Passion of the Christ. Um, it doesn't even have Lethal Weapon listed on his IMDb page. Variety is just the one that reported this week that he signed on to do it. Acting-wise, he's been in a lot of movies lately, but again, many of them, very, very small films that you probably... The biggest thing he's done in the last several years, uh, the Daddy's Home franchise with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg. He was yeah. a father... I think of the Mark Wahlberg character and he was in the expendables number three <laughs> outside of that. You have films like Bloodfather, uh, dragged across concrete. We talked about the professor and the madman boss level force of nature, fat man, dangerous again. Couldn't tell you anything about any of those films. He made a film called fat man. Yes. I okay. think that was actually about, uh, Santa Claus. Okay. But it was very violent. From oh. what I understand. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, but he's got like seven films in post-production or completed, like to come out soon that he's acted in. Wow. So he's still very much around. Now, could a Lethal Weapon 5 directed by Mel Gibson be good? My question is, is it going to be more violent? Because I thought the last two films tended to be a little more, not family friendly. They were still, I think, R movies or, or so. But they were definitely more mass audience appeal. 
can Mel Gibson bring a mass audience back to this franchise or not? I'm not sure. Hmm. So anyway, that's lethal weapon five. I'm, I'm, I don't have an opinion either way. I, I kind of <laughs> checked out of that franchise sure. after the first two. Um, but it would be interesting to see what Hollywood does with Mel Gibson in this situation and audiences in general, given right. his, uh, difficult, difficult path in the last uh, 20 years or so. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, that is our news items for today. So some interesting projects to keep our eyes on all kind of franchise based films that people are working with, or at least intellectual property based films, I guess I should say, but let's, uh, let's go ahead and steer our attention to recommendations we can make, like honestly feel like we can make because we've actually seen the films. They're not ones that are going to be made in the next couple of years. This is where Chris and I both give a recommendation of a film that you are able to check out online if you so choose to do so. It's going to be a film that either of us just recently caught up with. could be a newer film as long as it's available online, or it could be an older film that we just had a chance to rewatch or see. So Chris, what is your recommendation for our audience today? So I'm going to recommend a film that just came out on Netflix not too long ago. So if you have that service, you can watch it for free. Um, it's called The Harder They Fall. And it's by director James Samuel. And it's his first, I believe it's his first feature film or his first big release as a feature film. I think he may have done an independent film before that. But um, it's a Western. And the quick summary is an outlaw discovers his enemy is being released from prison. And he reunites his gang to seek revenge. Okay, so pretty, you know, straightforward type plot. Um, The cast is pretty pretty cool pretty amazing a lot of good people in it uh, jonathan my majors who people may know from last black man in san francisco he plays the lead um with him in the film is also zazie beats um she's like plays the character of mary fields and um important because you know this is a name that a lot of people um oh lakeith stanfield regina king they're also in the film and I'm, i cannot you know i was just commenting on how you can't talk about the film without who's the Dang, I forgot his name. The guy who plays the um, the bad guy in the film. I'm completely blanking on his name. Um, he was mm. the one that people thought was going to be the new James Bond. Idris Elba. Yes, thank you. Um, he plays the the big bad guy in the film. Um, so I, it is very violent. That is a warning right off the bat. It is very violent. To me, it's like this guy saw Django Unchained and The Hateful Eight by Tarantino. He's like, here, hold my beer, <laughs> and, then, and then made made this film. It's really stylish. A lot of the characters have some good liners, just well shot. And the unique perspective is that, you know, with all the names you heard me read out, it is very centered on African-American characters in the West, which, mm-hmm. you know, normally, typically, you don't really see that perspective or um, people of color during that time sure. frame. Um, so uh, I thought it was really enjoyable it was a lot of fun. Not that the story was really that unique, um, but that was enjoyable. But it uh, it is it is violent. But I, I enjoyed a lot of the just the performances. Kind of a fun, mindless the, western. The harder they fall. The in, harder they fall. And that's on Netflix. Netflix. Okay, yes. Netflix right now available to watch and stream. Yes. Okay. Good. All right. I've I've heard some good things about that as well. And uh, Jonathan Majors hosted Saturday Night Live the other night. So okay, it's kind of you know see him plugging the film a little bit there. Hmm. Um, sounded interesting. So I have to check that out. Uh, my recommendation is one that you will be able to find on Apple TV plus. So that's the service, uh, that, you know, you, I think anybody who has bought an Apple product in the last year, 
you get a free year or so of subscription. And even beyond that, I think it's only four or five dollars a month for it. But um, they're starting to crank out some interesting content that we can explore in a future episode. But uh, the one I'm going to give the recommendation to is the film Finch. This is the Tom Hanks uh, starred film about a post-apocalyptic Earth where Tom Hanks's character uh, builds a robot to protect the life of his dog. Um, and along the way, learning about life, love, friendship, and what it means to be human. Um, that in itself, the description did not grab me. I really, you know, when I heard about this film, I did not have any interest in it, but um, ended up watching it, ended up kind of just, I guess more a little curiosity got me, and I did end up watching it, and actually found it to be a, a very good film. Um, I think the main reason it's good is because you have a, a science fiction film with a big name actor that isn't trying to be anything more than what it is. Uh, this is not a franchise setting up film. This is not a, you know, it's not a continuation story that they're trying to a big world building that they're trying to do. No, it's just, it's just a good human story told with one man and his robots. It's almost like uh, I'm going to throw four films at you that if you were to blend together, I think you'd get this film. Better than Chappie. Well, Chappie is one I'd throw in as like in the blender, throw in a little Wally, mm -hmm. throw in some short circuit. Mm -hmm. Okay. The old uh, Steve Gutenberg mo uh, robot movie. Sure. And then throw in Castaway. Right. Because even though Tom Hanks is still interacting with robots, uh, it's still pretty much him, you know, talking with the creations he's made. So you blend all that together you throw it in a post-apocalyptic kind of sci-fi environment and you have this film. Sure. Uh, but there's some good heart here. There's some good acting. It's the best I've seen Tom Hanks be in quite a while. I mean, he's good. He's, he's always, always good. good. Sure. But this is the first one in a while that I've really seen him really go at it acting-wise. And, uh, and I think it works. The robot uh, he builds is voiced by uh, Caleb Landry Jones. Um, I'll admit, he's annoying. Okay. He's an <laughs> annoying robot. And then the first 20 minutes you meet this robot, you're like, yeah, this robot's already getting on my nerves, but that's also part of the story. It's sure. kind of, that's, that's part of the creation he's made and it comes around. It, it, it works itself out by the end. And I think, uh, I, I was actually kind of surprised with where it, the story landed, but mm -hmm. it made sense where it did. Sure. Um, it was very satisfying. Um, the only feedback I'll give is that they created kind of a world around you that they don't really take any time to, to, to tell you much about or why it is the way it is. But I was okay with that. You know, I could see some people maybe wanting more out of this film, you know, to know about the other characters or people that may be living in this world where, where uh, Finch is uh, living. But again, the movie's not interested in that. It's just going to explore this one character and his relationship with the inanimate objects he created around him and gave life to. Sure. And um, from that angle, it worked. So uh, you saw this film. You, I did. You uh, liked it? Yeah. Um, it. <laughs> if it wasn't for the fact that it can be kind of a downer, yeah. um, I would say actually it would be kind of a good, I guess if your kids are older, mm -hmm. um, it's a, it kind of could be kind of a good family movie to watch like over Thanksgiving or something. Mm -hmm. I mean, but it is, it is kind of a downer, but if your kids like science fiction yeah. and it has a good message, it does like have that. a good message and it, it is a, it's it a heavy, heavy. It it's a heavy, heavy movie, but you know, you got a robot that is kind of funny and yeah. tries to, tries to be human at times and has a lot of personality to them and that can make it kind of entertaining. So I, and there's a cute dog. There is know, a cute dog in there. So uh, 
Yeah, so it's a it's a good movie. I did enjoy it more than I expected to. That is Finch. It is on Apple TV Plus, and um, yeah, I think it's worth watching. So great. Well, that is our recommendations. Chris gave The Harder They Fall on Netflix. I gave Finch on Apple TV Plus. Both available to watch and stream anytime you want, especially with holidays coming up. A couple good choices for you there. All right, Chris. Well, I think we are done with today's episode. Again, we gave a mixed review on The Eternals. I was more on the positive side. Chris was more on the disappointed side. Uh, We also talked about The French Dispatch, which Chris is a big fan of. I ultimately am a fan, (laughs) but it just took me more time to process and feel comfortable with my opinions on the film. And then we talked about uh, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which we're both generally uh, positive on. Uh, didn't feel like it did the best job it could have done in, in telling the story it meant to tell, but the performances were really good and worth watching for that standpoint. And then, of course, our news items, Lethal Weapon, some Disney attra- theme park attraction-based films. Lots going on in that arena. Chris, if anybody had any comments or feedback on any of the things we talked about, the movies, the news, recommendations, anything, how, how can they do that? You can send an email to info at footcandle.org where you can berate me for forgetting Idris Elba's name, which you should. Um, You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. We're on Letterboxd where you can track what we're seeing and sometimes we leave short little reviews. Um, Also, uh, since we provide this service free of charge to you, it would be awesome if you'd give us a star rating or write a review or share with friends in iTunes to help us reach new listeners. Uh, we'd appreciate it. We're also on iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and Pocket Cast. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Foot Candle Film Festival is now open for submissions for the 2022 festival. So uh, if you submit now, you can get the early bird discount. All right. Well, that is how you can reach out to us. We'd love to hear you soon. So uh, please feel free to reach out and give us some thoughts or feedback on what you're hearing. And we will be back next time with another episode with some more new movie reviews and some news items and recommendations as well. So for Foot Candle Films, this is Alan Jackson. That is Chris Fry. I am pointing to across the table. (laughs) And uh, thanks for listening. We will talk to you next time. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Taller for the show theme music. For more about Carpal Taller, visit www.carpaltaller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.